Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. The number one podcast for learning and talent development professionals. Now here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for another great episode to help you up your game and improve your performance in the world of talent development. And that means helping you develop your people and helping your organization develop its people, which allows you to attract, develop, and retain your best people, which is what this world of talent development is all about. And I know you are all about that, and that's what we're always trying to help you with. Today's episode is about safety and specifically psychological safety. Actually, we're talking about physical safety and psychological safety, two topics we haven't talked about. Well, physical safety we've never really gotten into and psychological safety haven't really talked about in quite some time, even though it is such an important ingredient to creating a great culture as well as driving more innovation, more inclusion, uh, all of those things. And my guest today is an expert on creating a culture of psychological safety. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Martha Acosta. She is an internationally regarded expert in safety leadership, working with organizations such as the National Safety Council, Safety Canada, and the National Association for EHS&S Management, among others. Martha is also a senior moderator in Harvard Business School's Corporate Learning Division and has been a learning and development consultant supporting governments and global corporations for over a quarter century. That sounds like a long time. Martha holds leadership positions on nonprofit boards of directors and has earned a doctorate in human and organizational learning from the George Washington University in Washington, D.C., and an MBA in organizational behavior from Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. And I got connected to Dr. Martha Acosta by my friend Massimo Bacchus, who has been on this podcast multiple times, and was really impressed with the work that she was doing, both with Harvard and on her own, and working with lots of different organizations. And she works with companies primarily that actually physically put their people at risk. Think about oil and gas, construction, things like that. But that has led right into studying and working with organizations on this idea of psychological safety, which is just as important and something that all of us deal with or are trying to work on improving, whether your organization puts people at physical risk or you have to deal with physical safety or not. And so in this interview with Dr. Martha Acosta, we talk about her background as well as how training has evolved and become better. We talk about how all work is inherently dangerous. This was a surprise to me, so you'll have to stay tuned and see what she says about that. We talk about the importance of psychological safety and why it's so important for a culture of an organization and the keys to creating psychological safety as well as leadership and how that plays a role as well and what talent development can do. So this is a great wide-ranging interview around the topic of safety and psychological safety. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Martha Acosta about eating a culture of psychological safety. All right, I am joined now by Dr. Martha Acosta, who is an internationally regarded expert on safety and leadership. Martha, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Great. It's great to be here, Andy. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here. You know, we connected a few weeks or months back. I don't know, time flies, and we had a great conversation. And the things you were working on, I knew would be beneficial for other people to learn from in this space. And some of it, I, you know, I don't know that much about. So I'm excited to dig into these topics of safety, both physical and psychological, and 
the leadership and culture that supports you know better safety in the workplace. But you know, before we get into those things, I'd love to hear a little bit about of your your background and and how you got into this in the first place. <laughs> well, I started out my career in Silicon Valley, working in training and development, and then ended up moving to the UK and worked there for a few years in sort of management, training, and leadership development. But it rained a lot there. <laughs> it was really yeah. dark and gloomy. And when I was facing my fourth winter, I couldn't really deal with it anymore. And I thought, I have to move back to New Mexico. So I took a job uh, as the training manager for the nuclear facilities of Los Alamos National Laboratory Hmm. here in in New Mexico and Los Alamos, New Mexico. And I got a whole new understanding of what training and development mean in an organization. It's not something that's just a nice to have. It's something that's absolutely essential to being able to operate safely, but it had a whole lot of problems at Los Alamos. Hmm. Many of your listeners who are in, in T&D or who are instructional designers or you know have that background that we have would understand this. I kept getting these corrective actions from our regulators where basically they would want me to retrain an expert Mm -hmm. on a procedure that in many cases they had done for 20 years or they themselves had actually written. Yeah, they've written the (laughs) manual on how to do it, right? (laughs) Right, exactly. And I would push back and I just, I didn't understand why this was happening. I It seemed like training was being used as punishment mm. for not doing your, your job right or for taking shortcuts or for, you know, any kind of safety or security infraction. And I just, it's like training shouldn't be punishment or learning shouldn't be punishment. Yeah. But what I heard really, and I don't know if anyone said this specifically, but this is what I got out of one sort of crucial meeting was that you're the person, your job as you know, the training manager is to fix people. Mm. And what's wrong in this organization is the people. Mm. <laughs> and that really was a huge aha for me. And also during that period was actually a very organizationally traumatic event. There had been lots of safety and security incidents. Our director at the time was Vice Admiral Pete Nanos, and he was brought in to basically, you know, shake things up, you know, and get this organization on the straight and narrow. And he had an all-hands meeting (laughs) after he saw a bumper sticker in the parking lot that said, work-free safe zone. Hmm. So it was an ironic, humorous, somewhat paradoxical, right? A bumper sticker that was pointing out that you can get that tension between safety and and production, right? Hmm. But it really made him angry. And he called an on-hands meeting and he called all of these scientists that worked at Los Alamos National Laboratory. I mean, the premier scientists in nuclear science, he called them cowboys and buttheads. Wow. 
<laughs> people love that. Yeah, people really love that. So we really created a lot of fear. And we ended up shutting down the laboratory. And really how I got into sort of being recognized as this expert in human and organizational performance, which is a branch of safety that's very popular in lots of high hazard organizations was because we were trying to figure out how to stand the facility back up again because it was costing taxpayers millions of dollars. Hmm. And how do you quickly turn around an organization that is basically trapped in fear? Hmm. And you said one of the biggest issues there was there were a lot of safety and security issues, right? Can you give an example mm-hmm. of what that looks like? Well, so what what shut down the laboratory, and this is just one of these things, is that a student working in a laser laboratory was blinded by looking directly into the laser. Now, even if you don't know about lasers, you know that you probably shouldn't look into them like without the sun, right? you probably PPE, look, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when you look at that incident, you just look at that on the surface and say, well, this is just careless. Yeah. Well, this is dumb. Who, who didn't tell this student that they had to wear PPE? Who didn't enforce this rule? Yeah. How could you even let anyone into a laser laboratory without PPE? But when we looked at it closely and did the investigation, we found that the principal investigator for that laboratory was somebody who was world-renowned. Hmm. Not only was he a great scientist, but he was also a great mentor to all of these different students. Hmm. And he had awards for his support of these students, dissertation students, and even undergraduate students. So he, they had a really great camaraderie within that laboratory. But one of the ways that they demonstrated, and this is unconscious cultural artifacts, right? Mm-hmm. One of the ways that they demonstrated being elite was being able to sight a laser blind-eyed, to, to know that if you looked at it at an oblique angle or a certain angle, you know, you weren't going to look at it straight on and therefore injure yourself. Yeah. And so somebody new comes into this group and whether they know it or not, they're doing something dangerous. Mm. But what's much more important is being a part of that group, that having that belonging. And, And that is belonging is a strong force. Not belonging is an existential threat. So your immediate physical safety probably isn't as important or seems as strong, at least, you know, unconsciously than actually fitting in. Right. And so I'm I'm understanding this now, like a lot of, I'm I'm guessing you can tell me because now you've worked with a number of different organizations that have safety issues, right. Or that put people's lives at risk. Mm -hmm. I think you told me when I, when I first started talking to you that you work with organizations that kill people or have the potential to right, where people are doing dangerous things in their jobs that it's not necessarily a lack of training or information or awareness that's causing a lot of safety issues. It's the culture and wanting to belong. And like, I'm thinking back to 
you know, what often happens with teenage boys, right? High school culture. It's like, oh, well, everybody's doing this thing. So we should all go do it. You know, how do people often get in trouble yeah. or, or get, you know, have, have those issues. And it's, it's because of that, because of the, the peer pressure and the culture. Right. Right. I, you know, those, um, the dangers of joining a gang or, you know, looking, you know, messing up and how you sight a laser, all of those things are kind of far away, right? They they mm-hmm. are things that could happen or they're mm-hmm. things that happen to other people who are somehow separate from you. But that immediate need to address, to fit in, to have a peer group, all of those things are, are much more important mm. to us as humans. Right. So we look at companies that are, you know, putting people's lives at risk in the work that they do. You do a lot of work in this organizational performance field and safety mm-hmm. field. One of the things I wanted to ask you about is what are some of the most common challenges or issues that that companies are dealing with that they really need to improve? As I imagine that that culture peer pressure piece is one of the big ones. <laughs> right. Well, I think one of the biggest things that they're dealing with is a culture of blame. Mm-hmm. And I mean, one of the ways I I kind of want to reframe how we think about these organizations, because all work is inherently dangerous. The amount of, so when we think about how we create value, we create value in work by changing something. Yeah, And so I work with a lot of organizations in the extraction industries, for example, so oil and gas. Right. And we think about what is so valuable about oil and gas, about that energy. I mean, it's so important. We mm-hmm. we we know that now where when we have shortages or yeah. when we have a crisis that impacts people's ability to to get it at an affordable price. Mm-hmm. The act of extracting something from the earth is inherently dangerous. And the company is able to extract that value because they can do it safely, because they are mitigating all of those risks inherent in that. And that act of mitigation actually is part of what makes that product extremely valuable. Hmm. So it's, It's not so much these companies put people's lives at risk because they're, they don't care or something, or they put their lives at risk because there is something inherently risky and dangerous to the industries that are absolutely essential to keeping us alive. Right. It's one of those weird paradoxes of yeah, life. And there's, and there's right? value in the product and, and at least the company is determined that it's worth the risk. And I think about people working in mines for yeah. hundreds of years, right? And oil and gas industry, so many other industries, other in, other anyone in the energy industry. I was speaking with People recently work in a huge wind energy company and about the workers who climb up on windmills to fix them, you know, uh, the service people. And I think about that job. I, and I, that's what I was going to ask you. I think it's funny you said all work is inherently dangerous because I think about someone climbing a 200 foot windmill to service it. And here I am just sitting, at, standing behind a desk on Zoom all day. I don't think there's too much danger in the job that I do, right? Obviously, hey, people That's burn out. That's not true. Okay, That's tell me, why am I, how am I wrong there? You take on, so I think anytime that you're trying to create value, you're mm. putting yourself in danger in one way or another. So 
I, I completely admire everybody who works in the energy industry who are providing something to us that is absolutely essential for us to be alive. And they are risking their lives, climbing up yep. on windmills. I right. think about all of those line workers who went to Florida to try and, you know, from all around the country yeah. to bring power to people in need. Those are some of the people that I work with and I admire them tremendously, right? Yeah. But you are also taking interpersonal risks. Hmm. So I have talked to people who are sort of hotshot uh, firefighters, right? Mm -hmm. Who jump into fires from airplanes who say, wow, what you do for a living is my biggest fear. Huh. Because we're taking that interpersonal risk yeah. of public speaking. That's true. And putting ourselves in a situation where we might be rejected or right. criticized or we might fail. Right. And that, that too is a huge... Um, interpersonal risk to people. That's true. A lot of people do. They they say public speaking is like the number two fear behind death, right? And something <laughs> I do on a regular basis. I was out on the road giving a keynote speech last week. I don't think that much about it anymore, but right. obviously many people are terrified of, of getting up in front of others. And so I see what you mean now. And I always think about that fear and how irrational it is. I know where it comes from, right? It, it's It's evolutionary in our psychology, right? That we fear being rejected or judged because for thousands of years we lived in tribes. And if you got kicked out of the tribe, you were pretty much dead, right? There was no way you were going to survive. So that's still ingrained in us. You know, if we get up, if I get up in front of this group and everybody laughs at me, then I'm going to die. But we have to get <laughs> past that, right? To realize like, oh, that's not going to be the case. Like my life is not actually at risk. But I see what you mean. There is still a lot of fear involved. It's still interpersonal, you know, behavioral risks. Uh, and of course, if I perform poorly, yeah. that could reflect poorly on me and also hurt my business. I'm running a business. Mm -hmm. And if pe people listen to me and they're like, well, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about, then yeah. I'm not going to get hired as much. And that could hurt my family's ability to survive, at least you know, get by in the way we want to. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we we get hurt in lots of different ways. And whether you get, you know, you get hurt on the job because you break your hand or you get hurt on your hurt on your job because, you know, there's some gaffe or or something. I mean, you think about that. You have some gaffe, somebody records it and then decides that they're in on social media, they're going to to roast you. Yeah, yeah. that's that's dangerous to your ability to have a livelihood is breaking your leg or your arm. Yeah. OK. All right. Well, I'll. I'll feel better. I feel better about the risks, the quote unquote risks that I take and, and the work that I do. I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast don't necessarily work in companies or environments where workers are in physical risk, right? If they're not in oil and gas or or mining or you know, some construction, some of those big, those big industries. A lot of people work in, you know, office job environments. I work with a lot of software companies where people are not putting their their lives at risk. However, like you said, there's still a lot of other risks and dangers and interpersonal issues that are going on. And I know you work with organizations on psychological safety as well. So we're talking about physical safety. Can you talk to me about psych psychological safety and why is that so important? The reason why it's so important is that whether it's a safety risk or it's a performance risk, right? You're If you uh, worked in the media industry and all of a sudden the media industry changed and you weren't able to adapt and change yeah. to that new environment, then you would lose your job or the company would collapse. There are lots of companies out there 
that die mm-hmm. because they aren't able to overcome their performance risk. So psychological safety is basically just the belief, a shared belief among a group of people that it is safe to take interpersonal risks. So it's safe to ask a stupid question. Mm. It is safe to show up as your authentic self and to bring your diversity to work. It is safe to take a risk and to fail. It's safe to ask for help. It's safe to give somebody, offer somebody else help. Uh, And just to talk about difficult, sensitive, Mm -hmm. uncomfortable topics. Mm -hmm. Now, why that is so important to mitigate performance risk, whether it's safety or something else, is that if you can't do any of those things, you can't learn, you can't be creative, you can't change, and therefore you cannot adapt to a volatile, uncertain, complex environment. And that's really, you know, every industry is operating in a volatile, uncertain, um, complex, and an ambiguous environment. Leaders are making decisions all the time under ambiguity, right? They're having to make a decision, even though the right answer isn't clear and the information that they have might not be complete or reliable. And those decisions really do, you know, at least cumulatively, they do determine whether a company lives or dies. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, so psychological safety is really important. And so when we think about like my example at Los Alamos, I mean, it's nearly 20 years ago of the head of the organization instilling fear in the organization, that fear shuts down psychological safety. Mm. So it is the psychological safety allows you to do, to overcome your natural fears. Yep. You can st- you'll still be a little uncomfortable. Being uncomfortable is fine, but it allows you to be comfortable with being uncomfortable to take the risks that are necessary to perform. Yeah. Or trying new things, suggesting ideas, raising issues about safety issues. I mean, I, I would imagine that in a culture, even if in a company where people's lives are at risk, when they're leading, the leadership is done through fear, right? And people have a fear of bringing things up and safety issues don't get raised. I'm thinking of, I think it was Blink by Malcolm Gladwell, where he talked about the the history of plane crashes. And there were so many because of these hierarchical cultures, especially from Asian countries and other cultures outside of the US, but even sometimes in the US early on, where you know the co-pilot or first, first mate, whoever it would be, like you couldn't bring up issues to the captain. And mm-hmm. so they never did. And then they would, then they would crash, right? And how that had to change in the airline industry. I imagine similar in other spaces as well. Right. I mean, you think of, you know, if you narrow your perspective, I mean, that's what bias is, right? So without psychological safety, you you end up with an organization that's very biased. And it, not just, you know, sort of the biases that, you know, racial biases and those sorts of things, but biases as far as you know, what solutions will work or what's possible, what information is important and should I pay attention to? You get a very narrow a narrow view. And in, in, in Malcolm Gladwell's book, I and mean, one of the things that he's pointing to is that our brains like to take shortcuts. We mm. want to be able to make those decisions very quickly. Our brains do. I mean, it's not a conscious thing. Mm-hmm. But bias is actually one of one of the reasons why we're very efficient. And yet, 
it also creates a lot of hazard for us. Mm, indeed. So what are some keys to creating psychological safety and a, and a better culture? You know, psychological safety really is something that needs to be created by the leader because it is a social dynamic. And so in any given team, it is fragile, right? So you put together sort of a work group on the fly, an ad hoc group to work on a particular problem. That team needs to quickly create psychological safety in order for them to feel in order for them to be effective. Because one thing that happens, like in a lot of organizations do this now, you identify a lot of experts in something because you have a complex problem and you need people with depth of knowledge to be able to solve that complex problem. Well, there's something called the common knowledge effect where you put together a bunch of experts and the only information that they share with each other is the information that they have in common. Mm. They don't bring to the table their unique perspective and their unique knowledge because our instinct is to first get along. And so that, you know, inherent fear in interacting with new people actually keep us from being able to solve a complex problem. So it's a dynamic that we want to create and it's really up to the leader to set the tone. So if people don't have a healthy attitude towards risk and failure and aren't willing to talk about their mistakes or what they're unsure about, they are living under this fear of blame. Well, if the leader has an unhealthy attitude towards risk and failure and has a fear of blame or hasn't identified their tendency towards blaming and uses blaming or uses, let's say, performance metrics as reward and punishment that creates a dynamic where there's fear of blame, then you're going to have a hard time having a team that is willing to talk about their failures, experiment and take risks, right? Mm. There's also, you know, sort of something that's inherent in team dynamics is that fear of rejection that we've already talked about. If the leader hasn't worked on themselves and is willing to show up vulnerably as a complex person with all of their different identities, then others in that team aren't going to feel like they can either. Mm. They are going to conform to however the leader has set an expectation of this is who we are and this is how we're supposed to be. So, and you know, there's all of these different ways in which leaders, how they show up makes a huge difference in creating psychological safety. There's also several levers that leaders regularly use in organizations to basically shape and inform culture, right? You know, the unspoken norms about how mm. we do things around here. So these are much more formal things. They are things around how roles are defined. What kind of processes and procedures do we have? And then how do we talk about them as far as how rigid they are? You know, are there ways to speak up about them? Our measurements, which I'm, which I mentioned, you know, are we, are we so focused on individual behavior 
that we drive the idea that to survive, I have to preserve myself (laughs) and my ego. My success is more important than the team's success. Mm. That creates a sort of tension that tends to snuff out psychological safety. And then, and then sort of how, you know, how much, how do we create sort of structures as leaders for coaching and feedback? In other words, creating a mindset where I'm willing to ask for help and it is okay for me to step in when I see somebody doing something that's not working and give them help. And that really is a structure, you know, that's around communication norms and who has the right to speak up and, you know, are there communication hierarchies, is knowledge power, all of those sorts of things that leaders actually have a lot of control over setting our communication norms, how we give feedback, are we able to engage in open conversation, am I really listening are we aware of what people need from us? Mm. Those sorts of things. So it really is. I mean, you, all the things I've talked about, you know, anybody who has done leadership development re- realizes that those are key parts of leadership development. Yeah. In many ways, leadership is all about creating the psychological safety for their teams to learn and innovate so that they can perform and in- improve their performance. Yeah, I agree 100%. You know, as I've studied leadership over many years and I've started to put together my own thought and framework on what a successful leadership look like, I, I believe it is about empowering and enabling your team and your people to succeed. And one of the biggest keys, you talked about it, to successful leadership is putting your ego aside. And it's so hard, right? But that ego is what guides you to make things about you, to be afraid of failure and to micromanage and take over. And even going back to what you said about you know, wanting to fit in. It's that ego of like, oh, I want to fit in and I don't want to get kicked out of the group. So I won't bring up the safety issues or I don't want to get in trouble or whatever it is. It's such a big factor in all of this. The last- Well, I I actually want to disagree with that just a tiny bit. Okay, go ahead. I don't think it's about, we talk about putting our ego aside. And when I think of that, I think, you know, nobody puts baby in the corner. Right. (laughs) Right? Right. Ego is baby and ego is not going to let you put baby in the corner. I think that you have to be aware of your ego and manage your ego. Mm. And you have to manage your ego to ensure that you have to basically teach your ego that its survival depends on it wanting to contribute to the well-being of the team. Mm -hmm. So I think in a way, what we're doing is we're expanding our sense of self, Mm -hmm. right? And then we're aware of what our underlying ego needs are. Because if Mm -hmm. we aren't aware of our ego and we just try to pretend that we don't have it or we put it away, then it is going to bite us. Mm -hmm. It's because, you know, it's going to be operating in our unconscious driving our behaviors and our attitudes and our judgments. And a big part, I think, of just as you said, sort of managing your ego, becoming a leader is first doing a lot of reflection about what are my internal narratives? You know, what are some of my limited thinking patterns? What what are my blame narratives? Yeah. You know, how do I respond in stress? What You know, what's thinking it in my mind? And starting to just be conscious of those and not believing everything you think. Yeah. And start creating internal narratives that are constructive 
for the team. It's also about defining success for yourself yeah. and your organization, right? And getting clear on what that is and realizing that, hey, maybe it's not all about you, but you will be rewarded if you mm-hmm. you create this better environment. The last thing I want to ask you about, Martha, is because this podcast is for talent development professionals, learning and development professionals who are not necessarily the leaders in charge in many cases, but are influencing that, you know, from a, and you come in often as the talent development professional, what can we do to help influence and create more psychological safety and and better cultures? Well, I think as a talent development, I mean, one of the areas that I tend to focus on when I go into an organization is focusing on the middle manager, right? Because the middle manager is in that privileged and very difficult situation where they have a view to strategy and they also have a lot of influence over how work is done every day, mm-hmm. but they aren't the strategizer and they are not the worker. They At this point, they have had to have left behind that belief that my job is to be the smartest person in the room for them mm-hmm. to be successful. So one, as a talent development professional, is really looking at the organization and its dynamic and structures and thinking, who can I help who is going to have the biggest influence over the rest of the organization? You know, who can ask who can ask the right questions of the organization and have a big influence on transforming the culture? Because really, ultimately, you know, what is an organization? It's not brick and mortar. You know, it's not sort of a set of org charts. It's not anything but a system of meaning and shared beliefs among a group of people, right? And that that meaning is, you know, what's meaningful? Well, do we have an idea of what our purpose is and what that what meaning is? What you as you mentioned, what's what does success look like? How what mm-hmm. does winning look like? That's a shared meaning among people. If talent development professionals recognize that in many ways they're helping leaders manage meaning, then they can identify the areas where the organization and the leaders need some support and intervention, Mm -hmm. right? It's not about a bunch of necessarily a bunch of behaviors, although learning how to do some things some skills will be very helpful, but ultimately you have to think about how is that going to impact the organization as a whole and start driving a meaning that's going to help the organization be successful. Absolutely. I like that. And and the middle managers often have gotten so key to a lot of this, right? And and mm-hmm. influencing how the culture is interpreted and and played out in most of the organization and talent development often involved in leadership development and career development and providing training in so many different areas. And there's an opportunity to influence this and create more psychological safety, which is going to create more innovation and all kinds of great things that we talked about in this interview. So Martha, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing. I know just a a small glimmer of of your expertise. I know there's so much more we could go into with this and and you probably have more content out there. In fact, if people want to learn more about the work that you do or connect with you, where's the best place for them to go? I do have a website. It might be a little sad because I don't really have a lot of, I need to think of myself as a business, but I just don't. Yeah. I'm starting to to try to because I'm getting older and I'm thinking, oh, am I going to work until I'm 93? Mm, I might maybe. have to, unless I actually think of myself as a business. But I do have a website, martika.com, M-A-R-T-I-C-A.com. And that's just as really 
that I just had that domain for a really long time. It's not yeah. particularly meaningful. No. And um, <laughs> so you can find out more and contact me through that. Okay. I know people can connect with you on LinkedIn as well. Yeah. I'm sure you're on there. And if you're not following connected with me on LinkedIn, make sure you, you come check it out. And uh, I hope to have more conversations like this in the future. And we're going to do one more. Uh, we're going to ask you a few more questions about your career. But thank you so much for being here, Martha. I look forward to talking with you more soon. Great. Thank you. All right, that will do it for my interview with Dr. Martha Acosta about creating a culture of psychological safety. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Certainly a topic that is important to a lot of people in a lot of organizations. And hopefully you got some, you took some things away, some nuggets of wisdom that you can use in your own job back at work. And I've got some more nuggets coming from Dr. Martha Acosta in our bonus Q&A episode. So stay tuned. That's going to be coming in our next episode. In the meantime, I want to remind you that our podcast is sponsored by the Talent Development Think Tank Conference and Community. The community is ongoing. We have calls every week with guest speakers, as well as open forum calls. We share best practices. We learn from each other. We get a chance to ask questions and have great discussions. And then the conference, if you like getting together with people in person, is coming soon, February 22nd, 23rd, 2023 in Sonoma, California. You can find all the information on our website by going to tdtt.us. That's tdtt.us. Our podcast is also sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is a professional services firm dedicated to providing a continuous stream of creative learning and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. Advantage helps organizations develop great people, and you can find out more information on their website, advantageperformance.com. Thank you again for listening, and I will talk to you next time.